0: is going on everybody welcome back thank you so much for joining us this is the big show brought to you by the two of us it's just Alex and Ethan today but boy oh boy do we have a special special show on tap because uh Alex would you say that there's a lot going on in the uh in the big 10 community this past week
1: I mean, I don't know if I'd say a lot. Um, I would say there's maybe some tension. Mm. I would say there's maybe uh, maybe some suspensions. I'd oh say my. there's maybe college football playoff stuff to talk about. I think there's maybe a QB controversy in Happy Valley, it, but not a lot.
0: Yeah, no, 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 not at all, not at all. But we have got a jam-packed, loaded show for you today. So, without further ado. Let's get right into it. Alex, hit us with the first topic.
1: So let's start off with the college football playoff. Because these rankings just came out a night ago. And we've had about 24 hours to sit and marinate and think about our opinions, take in everyone else's, and figure out how we really feel about these rankings and about this committee.
0: I I have feelings
1: you have feelings, I have feelings, and I think our feelings will both tell us that the committee, I don't really know what they're doing, and I don't know if they do either.
0: I, I have a pretty good feeling of what they're doing, but I'll, I'll let you in on that. Um, so is that where you want to start?
1: Uh, let's just, let, let's poke a few holes in this. Actually, you know what? No, start off with what you're going to say about Big 10 teams, one losses. Clemson. Get, get into your rant. Let's go. Let's hear it. Okay.
0: So for me, this is just, I believe that this is the playoff committee trying to do their best to tell you, hey, Big 10, two of you are not getting in. AKA Michigan and Ohio State are both not welcome in this playoff. And to be fair... We do live in a world where these two teams which are clearly the cream of the crop in the Big 10 cannot play each other in the Big 10 championship game which sucks. And the SEC could very well be in the same position when it comes to Tennessee and Georgia. They could very much they could very much be in that exact same situation. However, they have a third team in the mix in Alabama. So they could still get two teams in. But I think what the College Football Playoff Committee is trying to do is tell the Big Ten, only one of you is welcome. And and, (laughs) I I mean, okay, fine. If you want to go ahead and put Clemson at number four above Michigan, but do not tell me that that committee did not backload that top 25 with all of these crap opponents that Clemson has beat just to make Clemson's record look better than it actually is.
1: I, It's a fantastic point. So let me lay out some of the important rankings in this top 25. So I'll give you all the top 10 and then some of the more significant rankings on the back end of this that we're referring to. That could mean a lot as the season goes on. So starting with number 10, we have LSU. Nine is USC. Eight is Oregon. Seven is TCU, who's undefeated. Remember that. Six is Alabama. Five is Michigan, who a lot of people expected to be in the top four. Clemson is at four. Georgia's at three. Ohio State is at two. And Tennessee is at one. Now, some of the other big-time rankings. Penn State is sitting at 15. Illinois is right behind them at 16. And when Ethan's talking about backloading the rankings for Clemson to prop them up a little bit, you have Syracuse at 20, Wake Forest at 21, NC State at twenty two. The three best wins for Clemson all just barely tucking into that top top twenty five.
0: NC right. State, NC State, and Wake Forest being ranked is uh,
1: outrageous. NC State almost lost this weekend. Wake Forest and Syracuse both did lose this weekend.
0: Syracuse lost back to back.
1: Correct. So. Which I'm, so,
0: not saying, I'm not saying you can't be ranked with two losses right now. There's plenty of ranked teams that have two losses. That right. is not what I am saying. However, you can clearly see that what they did was to set up putting Clemson above Michigan. And I don't think that even with an ACC championship, if Clemson loses a game, they're out. Especially with the teams that they have remaining on their schedule. And I do yep. believe that they play Notre Dame coming up here. I believe that they play Notre this Dame. Notre weekend. Dame Notre Dame, playing a little bit better football right now. Please, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, I hate you so much. I really do. I hate you as a school. I cannot stand you. I don't like your players. I kind of like your coach a little bit, which I don't like that either. You make me dislike you by making me like a part of you. Please, please beat this team. Please, I, I am begging you because so, Cle, Clemson is getting Clemson is getting the recognition for what they have done in the past. And I correct. am not saying that Clemson should not be ranked in the top 10. TCU has a better strength of schedule and a better better wins than this Clemson team does. TCU should be, if anybody should be ranked ahead of Michigan, if you want to talk about the teams that they have beaten, it should be TCU. We should not be having this conversation about Clemson right now. If it would have been TCU at four and you would have put Michigan at five, I would have been like, you know what? Michigan really only has the one quality win over, over Penn State, so I can live with it. Do not do it with Cle- I, I. It makes me, it. I, I'm I'm going to start raging, which I don't want to do. But it makes me so upset because it is literally you are taking only into account. And the fact that Alabama is above TCU is just mind boggling. Because, and if you want to make the argument, oh, but TCU has had to come from behind and TCU has played from in a bunch of close games. Yeah, they've played good opponents and they ended up on the winning side of all of them. You know what Alabama has? A loss. And they should have lost to Texas, who was unranked at the time. And they should have lost to Texas A&M, who is hot garbage. So if you're talking about teams having to come from behind against subpar opponents, let's start talking about some of these SEC teams that have struggled with absolute dog water, and one of them has a loss to their name. Tennessee is ranked appropriately at number one. They have had a great strength of schedule. They've beaten Alabama, and you're going to see what they are against Georgia this weekend. But right now, they deserve to be ranked number one. Georgia almost lost to Missouri. To Missouri is ranked number three Alabama is ranked ahead of TCU with a loss and an almost loss to Texas which would have been had their quarterback not gotten injured and an almost loss to Texas A&M who we have seen repeatedly over and over again this season prove themselves to be absolute dog water this playoff ranking committee is so garbage go ahead
1: Alex yeah, I want to get in on this action because I'm going to poke a few more holes in this and just point out some of the contradictory nature of how they put this top 25 together, okay? So I mentioned LSU at 10. LSU is at 10 with two losses. They're the highest two highest ranked two-loss team. And Ole Miss is right behind them at 11 with one loss, I believe, if I'm correct in saying that. Yeah, they have one Oh, loss. yeah,
0: and where's Utah, who has a top 10 win against USC?
1: Oh, You mm -hmm. took the words out of my mouth because the only reason LSU is a spot above Ole Miss with two losses is because LSU beat Ole Miss head-to-head this last weekend. Well, USC is sitting at nine, and Utah is sitting one, two, three, four, five spots lower than USC at 14 when Utah beat USC head-to-head. That doesn't really make much sense. Okay, let's keep going. So you mentioned TCU, TCU has wins over Kansas State who's ranked at 13 and against Oklahoma State who's ranked at 18. Both of those teams are ranked higher than any win that Clemson has on their schedule. Clemson has three ranked wins, but none of them hold a candle to Oklahoma State and Kansas State right now. And TCU is 3 spots behind Clemson. So that tells me then, that tells me then that okay, maybe part of what the committee do is doing is using the eyeball test. Maybe the eyeball test means a lot to them, okay? Because then you've got Ohio State ahead of Georgia when Ohio State's best win is Penn State at 15, Georgia's best win is Oregon at eight, okay? So that right there tells me the committee is using the eyeball test. Michigan, or, or sorry, not Michigan, Alabama, according to the eyeball test, you tell me they're better than TCU? Just based on the eyeball test, right? Take off the the name on the jersey. Take off the name of the head coach. Take off the brand and the university and the history and the national championships. You're telling me Alabama looks better than TCU? Eyeball test? Sure, TCU's gotten down in some games. But you just mentioned all the games that Alabama has been down in or close. And newsflash, they actually finished down at one of those games. TCU came back and won all of theirs.
0: And okay. oh, by the way, Tennessee tried their hardest to give that game away at home to Alabama and still won
1: that game. But I Correct. digress. And, and the committee even said, right, the commissioner, whose name is Boo, by the way, that's his first name. He he sounded if you didn't watch it, he he sounded like a fish out of water trying to explain these rankings. He said that Ohio State was ahead of Georgia because he liked Ohio State's explosive offense. That that was their reasoning. So apparently they don't watch much football because while I agree their offense is explosive, two weeks in a row now, they have sputtered and struggled in the red zone multiple times. But you're telling me TCU with Max Duggan putting up the numbers that he is this year, doesn't have an explosive offense. And yet you put them behind Alabama, who's got a loss.
0: It makes, it makes absolutely. The fact that TCU is behind Alabama is asinine. To me, It is. It makes so. no sense. It, there, There is no explaining that. To open the rankings, and listen, could Alabama crawl themselves back all the way to a number two spot or something along those lines and, and win the SEC? Yeah, of course. They could. Their whole schedule is out in front of them. But you still have to go and do that. And what you've shown us so far is you have a loss. You've lost a game. And TCU hasn't done that. And, and, and I get that all of this stuff is probably going to sort itself out by the end of the year. But this year, more than most, you are going to have so many people pining for that fourth playoff spot. and the yeah. fact that you have opened the rankings the way that you have, the playoff committee has already set themselves up for failure. that That's Correct. my opinion. They have set themselves up for failure.
1: I agree. So I could talk about this for the whole show, but let's dial it back and let's close out with some of the conclusions that we can draw from this as it pertains to the big 10 teams. So like we said, there's four in the rankings right now, Illinois, Penn state, Bama, or sorry, God, not Bama, Michigan and Ohio state. Okay. So you mentioned already that you think it's impossible for two big 10 teams to get in. I think there's a shot, but there's a couple of things that are going to have to happen. First, these Clemson wins are going to have to, one or two of them are going to have to fall out of the rankings. We're going to need an NC State or a Wake Forest collapse to take out some of the legs that are barely holding up their, the shaky chair that they're standing on right now.
0: They have to So lose that's going to have
1: to happen. They're going to have to lose a game, and their strength of schedule is going to have to take a hit. So that's one thing that's going to have to happen. You probably also need TCU to be beaten in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah. Okay. And you probably also need a Pac-12 champ to have two losses. Yeah. So it's a lot that would have to happen. Okay. But this is the scenario that I think is possible. So if those three things happen, I think that a one loss Michigan with that loss being to Ohio State could get into the playoff as the four seed. And I think Michigan is in a better spot to do it than Ohio State if they were to lose to Michigan. And here's why. I think there's a good shot that Maryland, Illinois, and Penn State all finish the season ranked. Maryland's sitting at 6-2 and two right now. I think they get ranked if they win this weekend at Wisconsin. Michigan has Penn State, Illinois, and Maryland on their schedule. Two of them wins already, Illinois TBD. Ohio State only has 2 of those teams, Maryland and Penn State. They don't play Illinois. So if Ohio State were to be the one-loss team and only have 2 ranked wins, I think it's pretty easy to try to keep them out. But if Michigan's the one-loss team has 3 ranked wins and a blowout win over Penn State, I think that bodes well for them to potentially be the 4 seed if enough chaos and happens. a road win and a road win at Maryland. And no, that was at home. Each of these games, unfortunately for Michigan, will be at home. Oh,
0: that's right. I thought we played Maryland on the road, but you're right. No, we did play that at home.
1: They'll all unfortunately be at home, but you boat raced Penn State by a mile. You beat Maryland. It was close, but mostly because of a garbage time touchdown. And we'll see what happens against Illinois. So if it does happen where two Big Ten teams get in, I think it's most likely to happen with Michigan. But you need those three teams to be ranked at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you were going to put together an argument for it, I think you just made the perfect one, to be honest with you. And I really think that there is a good chance that two teams from the SEC get in, unfortunately. I agree. I think that the loser of, as long as it's not a two-loss Loser of the SEC championship. Now, if both teams go into that game with a loss, and or let's say Georgia, for instance, wins out. So they beat Tennessee, and Tennessee does not make the SEC championship game. And Georgia goes in and plays Alabama and beats Alabama. And now Alabama has two losses. Tennessee and Georgia, Tennessee and Alabama both out.
1: Now, the I think the worst nightmare for every conference and every team in the country is if Georgia beats Tennessee, Bama beats Georgia, and now you've got a round-robin situation with three one-loss teams in the SEC where Alabama's a conference champ and they're automatically in, and then you have Georgia who beat Tennessee and Tennessee who beat Bama. Because in that scenario, you might, if enough chaos happens, it's not out of the realm of possibility for the SEC to get three teams in the playoff. And they set it up. The
0: team that gets the team that gets left out of of the S yeah, go ahead.
1: There's five SEC teams ranked in the top 11 right now. It's set up perfectly for the SEC to be the first ever conference to get three teams in there. If enough were to happen because the play, because the committee ranked them that way.
0: I just don't see it. I, I, I do not see that happening. I mean, they, too many of the teams have to play each other. I mean, you've got LSU who looks real good, and I, I mean they play I Alabama. The, this, they yeah, play Alabama the this week.
1: it's the least likely scenario we've brought up, but it is there, and I think it would be every one lost team who's fighting for that fourth spot. It would be their worst nightmare to have a one lost Georgia and one lost Tennessee because those are the teams it would be between,
0: and the rankings would be. Alabama number one, Georgia number three, Tennessee number four. Probably. And that's and what it would have like to a, be.
1: And like a Big Ten undefeated yeah. conference champion number two. Yeah.
0: No, no, no. They'd be number one. I'm sorry. And Alabama oh, right. it would be Alabama would be two it would be two, three, four.
1: You're right. You're right.
0: They'd be two. So I think three, the four. bottom
1: line is that Big Ten fans continue to root for chaos. Ohio State and Michigan fans continue to root for Illinois and Penn State and Maryland to prop up some wins and root for the Clemson strength of schedule to take a big hit. You need Syracuse, Wake Forest, and NC State to lose a couple more games and Clemson to lose a game. So we're just we're just rooting for chaos. We mentioned it on last week's pod. We're just rooting for chaos as Big Ten fans. So I think we've exhausted the playoff. The
0: Big 10 the Big 10 let's let's circle back and just close this off. Yeah. The Big 10 champion is getting in. Even if it's a one-loss, right. even if it's a a one-loss Illinois team, they're getting in.
1: Correct. Yes, I think that's safe to say. A conference yeah. champ is getting in. Yeah. So so if you're a one-loss Big Ten team, you're rooting for as much chaos as possible because you're not your spot is not guaranteed.
0: Correct. Yeah, but if you're a Big Ten champ, you're in at this Correct. point.
1: Yeah. All right, so we'll put a bow on the playoff, and let's talk about – we're going to get into the games, but first we're going to talk about what happened off the field because it's the elephant in the room, and it's Michigan State, Michigan, the – the fight in the tunnel that ensued after the game. Uh, Now there's a lot to unpack here, a lot of names, a lot of opinions. So we're going to handle it as gracefully as we can while giving you our very, very honest opinions about what happened. So I'll just break it down for some people who maybe haven't seen videos or haven't been as plugged in as we probably are with following the, the fan pages and reporters that we do. So the the Michigan-Michigan State game ended, and so the big house only has one tunnel that both teams walk out of. The away team always goes first, and Michigan goes second. Well, there were two Michigan players who got into the tunnel at the same time. They went into the tunnel at the same time as Michigan State and were kind of in the middle of the players. Only two. What ended up happening was video That was
0: I, I just want to start off right here. That was unwise.
1: Let me I just agree. say,
0: let me just say, that was unwise. That wasn't I smart. I, I agree. I'm gonna have some. I'm gonna have some serious opinions coming up here about Michigan State and the way that they handled things.
1: Yes,
0: or the, their players specifically, not them as an organization, because I think they've taken the the appropriate ste- steps since then. But unwise, to say the least, by these Michigan players. To gallivant up into the tunnel with all of the Michigan State players, not smart. That's all. That's all I'm saying. So what
1: happened? So what happened after the players went into the tunnel is video shows that Jamon Green, number twenty-two for Michigan, uh, he's in the tunnel, and what you see is MSU players, uh, one holding him up in the tunnel and kind of keeping him from running away. And another MSU player uh, who ha- has taken his helmet off and is swinging and trying to beat Jaman over the head—I think that's a fair way of putting it—with his helmet straight up, trying straight up assaulting Jaman with his helmet, using it as a weapon. And then the way the story has come out: Jaden McBurrows, number one for Michigan, tried to come to Jaman's aid and and get some MSU guys off of him and jaden mcburrows ended up being pulled into a separate tunnel or or, or a side door uh, off of the tunnel and he was being being kicked and dragged Uh, it's hard to see exactly from the video but i know he he had a couple of of minor injuries so he was being kicked and and hit and stuff and dragged in the tunnel um and then eventually they were separated And those two went into the locker room and nothing else happened after that. But if you see the videos, it's a really ugly scene. Uh, It is not a good look for Michigan State, for those players. Um, Yeah, Ethan, if you want to – oh, and last thing to Ethan's point, there was a video that came out of showing Jaden McBurrows, number one, kind of skipping ahead of the Michigan State players to – get into the tunnel with them as opposed to going over to the student section with Michigan to celebrate and sing hello the victors and all that um and I'll agree with you go celebrate with your team don't get in the tunnel with the other team it is no excuse for what the Michigan players did to him I don't care what he said Michigan state players correct sorry Michigan state players I don't care what he said. I don't care what trash talk he's saying. As long as he didn't do anything physical to instigate it, their response was absolutely uncalled for. I'll, I'll let you take the mic for a minute.
0: Yeah, so anytime and, – and, and you saw it with you, – you saw it in the NFL with Miles Garrett. Um, anytime you take off the helmet and you're using the helmet as a weapon – Miles Garrett was instantly suspended for an entire year. That was, I mean, it was just like, boom, cut and dry. That happened on the football field. This was off the field after the game was over. And people, I want you to understand that I am not telling you what is going to happen here or anything like that. Um, I, I believe that I have heard Something about um, Green's family has pressed charges for what has happened.
1: Jamon Green has has lawyered up and he's going to pursue legal action against the player who was hitting him over the head with the helmet. And and to that point, some of the aftermath, eight Michigan State players have been suspended. Yeah. most well known one being Jacoby Winman, number four, the the uh, linebacker One of their linebacker. best
0: defensive, yeah, one of their best defensive players. Who he so, was
1: actually in the video, he was the one holding Jamon Green so that the other guy could get some swings in with his helmet.
0: So I think what you're going to see here is whoever the player was using the helmet as a weapon, they're gonna be cut from the program. I, I, I think that's pretty cut and dry i i don't care who you are i don't care what program you play for if you take your helmet off and you're a college kid and you're using it as a weapon to swing and hit another player with you're just you're gonna get cut like I, i'm i'm sorry like that's the end of the road for you and uh green is you know pursuing legal action against him i'm not gonna really dive too deep into that um you you can do what you want It is, you know, you have every right to do that, especially if you feel as though you were put into a situation where you felt very unsafe or that your life was possibly in danger or something along those lines. I don't know. I wasn't there. I have seen the video and it does not look good for the Michigan State side of things. That's for sure. And I think that is the overwhelming theme to what happened here is the fact that none of it looks good for Michigan State. And I'm going to go ahead and say this right away. I think the way that Michigan State as a university has handled things post all of this happening has been fine. I have not had an issue with it. Eight players have already been suspended. And I think that's just the beginning of what is going to happen as a total. They released a statement, yada, yada, yada. It's all a little bit, you know, PC at this point. But they have taken actions right away. What I don't like is the fact that there are people out there who immediately wanted to turn this into, oh my gosh, this is just Michigan being so petty after a win and blah, 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 and turn it into these kids who were jumped in the tunnel. And one of them was beaten over the head. Mind you, Green did not have a helmet on. His helmet was off.
1: He's in concussion
0: protocol. And this kid is swinging a helmet. I I don't know how many of you out there have ever held a helmet in your hand, a football helmet. If you were to swing that at somebody's head, uh, you could do some serious, serious damage. And it is not out of the realm of possibility to think that you could kill somebody by hitting them in the head with a football helmet. So, I just, things can never, ever reach that level. And listen, I'm a super passionate guy. I'm a super passionate fan. Do I say stupid stuff sometimes when it comes to sports? Yeah, absolutely. Do I ever turn it into the physical? No. Should it ever reach the physical? No, never. And and this this is a physical sport that requires you to put all of your effort and all of your physicality into it. And do I understand that emotions are running high? Yes. Does that give you an excuse? No. And for me, this is just something Alex where there's going to be there's going to be players from this MSU team that are just they've played their last down of Michigan State football. And it's probably going to be more than one, it's going to be more than two, it's going to be more than four. And I honestly think that that's probably what you're going to see come out of this. It was just really sad and it kind of took away from, especially being a Michigan fan, it took away from the ability to kind of like celebrate the win afterwards because it was like, this is, this goes beyond sports. This isn't fun.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point that. You know, we love rivalries for the smack talk and the trash talk and, you know, going into work the next day and seeing seeing your buddy who's a fan of the other team and kind of rubbing it in his face a little bit. And then this fight, not that this is the most important thing about it, but it does take away from that of the, you know, rivalries are they're heated, but ultimately they're supposed to be some level of you know, respect and, and things like that of like, yeah, I respect them. They respect me, but, but we don't like each other on the field. And this escalated far past any of that. Uh, I thought you summed it up pretty well, Ethan. I agree with Jamon taking legal action. If he wants to, he can, right. I'm not going to say that I wouldn't do that if I was in his shoes. You know, he, it's not, it's not wrong to say he was assaulted to use that word in the tunnel. I don't think that's an inappropriate word to use. Um, I, I will say that it's really unfortunate and really makes you scratch your head to see some of the fans and people commenting on the situation saying like, well, why was the Michigan guy even in the tunnel? Uh, why does the big house only have one tunnel? You know, they were asking for this. Uh, and, and people saying like, well, James Franklin said it a couple weeks ago. The one tunnel is going to cause issues, and you know you you saw it coming. You should have done something. Okay, number one, there were extra security and extra state troopers in the tunnel for this game because they knew it was a rivalry, and an incident just happened a couple of weeks ago. Okay, so there was increased security. And and newsflash, it's not like the big house had two tunnels and they filled one in. The big house has been built – it was built in 1927. It's always had one tunnel. It's going to have one tunnel for a long time. They didn't have to and think, you know, it would be a way better idea to have teams go down the same tunnel. Yeah. That's not what happened. So so the blame the tunnel crowd – And it's not love. the
0: only stadium. It's not the only stadium in the country where that's the case. And Michigan and Ohio State have been coming out of that same tunnel – for decades and decades and decades and you don't see stuff like this happening. Have you seen, and it's great every year to see the video of Michigan and Ohio state chirping at each other in the tunnel and there's people holding them back and they're going back and forth or whatever. That's a rivalry. That that's, that's what it should look like. It should be intense. It should be ferocious, but there is a line that you don't cross in Michigan state cross the line multiple players on the Michigan State side. They lost their marbles, and they crossed that line of physicality that you don't get to come back from.
1: 1,000%. 1, 1,000%. 1, and so so the one-tunnel crowd can stuff it, and also the crowd saying, why was he in the tunnel in the first place? I agree that he should have been celebrating with his team, and I'm sure he'll do that from now on, and I'm sure a lot of Michigan players will do that from now on. But you've got one, and then two later on, like a couple of, a minute or two later, joining in the tunnel with the entire Michigan State football team and program. Two guys. You're telling me they felt it was appropriate because two guys were in there in the tunnel at the same time, probably talking some smack, to do what they did to him. Sorry, no, no. not good.
0: And, and, and listen. A lot of times what I like to do on this podcast is play devil's advocate and jump in and and try and add some levity to situations and things like that. And in this situation, I think if you you really use your big boy or big girl brain and and you think about the situation and you think about what actually happened and put it in a non-sports situation, okay, take sports out of it. It's a heated situation between two coworkers or, or or whatever, and the situation gets really intense. And somebody really thinks that it should happen this way, and you really think that it should happen this way, and it ends up with you picking up a stapler and beating your coworker over the head with it. How, how do we end? How do we end that conversation? Do we end that conversation in a polite manner without the cops getting called because you just picked up a stapler and beat me over the head with it? No, I'm calling the cops on you. You're a moron. Like, you just went beyond a line that allows you to come back from it. You have to remove – when when things get to that level of physicality, you have to remove sports from the situation. Okay? Like, I, I – I, and I was so afraid. This is going to sound so crazy. But I was so afraid – after the thing with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole happened a month ago or whenever, before the basketball season started during practice, I was so afraid after that happened and no punishments were put out. And they were like, we wish we could have just kept this internal. We didn't want it to get out. When that news came out, I was like, man, that really sucks because they had an opportunity to put a foot down and be like, Hey, like this wasn't even like they got into a tussle after a play or whatever. Jordan Poole is just standing there and gets sucker punched right in the mouth by Draymond Green. And I was like, man, this is a really good opportunity to just be like, you know what? This is not okay. And we as an organization are going to suspend, you know, maybe something happened that we didn't see on the camera and we're going to suspend both players or we're going to suspend Draymond for his actions or whatever. And I, I just had the worst feeling that something was going to happen. And I thought it would be more so like on the field. I did not anticipate this. But we've got to stop dropping the ball in sports as a whole when it comes to these outrageous acts of physical violence and not punishing them to the full extent.
1: You've seen it in L.A.
0: I'm, I'm so sorry. Let me just finish this Go point. Ahead. I I, I'm, I apologize. But we've seen it time and time again in the NFL where things happen off the field with these players, and it's physical assault, and and a lot of times it's against women, which is just absolutely insane that I can't even wrap my brain around. And the suspensions and the actions that are taken against these players do not come anywhere close to the level of action that should be taken against them. That people who are now younger than these players get the impression that I'm a football player, I'm an athlete, I get to do these same things and I get to get away with it. It's stupid and I don't care if you're a Michigan player, a Michigan State player, you play for some other school that I've never heard of or whatever. I don't care. I am completely taking fan affiliation out of this conversation right now. I don't care. And people, if this was a Michigan player doing this to a Michigan State player, I'd want him off my freaking team. Yep. this is not okay and I don't care if it was last year and it's Aiden Hutchinson in this situ- in same situation off the team you go buddy there it just can't happen we're talking about actual physical acts of violence it's not okay it can't happen these kids are kids quote unquote. They're adults. They've reached the age where you go to trial for something, you're getting treated as an adult. We've got to be better.
1: Yep, 100%. And to that point, uh, Mel Tucker has handled things fan- uh, incredibly well, in my opinion. The university has handled things incredibly well. I, I just want to
0: say really quick, I 100% agree with that. Great yeah. job by Michigan State as as a university. Great job by Michigan State's coaching staff. Like kudos to Mel Tucker
1: and the uh, eight I, suspensions. Great job. The eight suspensions actually happened in two waves. So they suspended four players, got more video evidence and suspended four additional players. So they are being proactive in taking care of this and taking care of the people responsible. So kudos to Michigan State for doing that. And I just want to be very clear as Michigan fans I am not painting a broad brush. I think this was a few bad apples in Michigan State's locker room that got way too heated and took things way too far. I'm not going to say it's a cultural thing or a program thing or a Tuck thing because that's inappropriate. And I think Tuck,
0: I, I, I think to your point, Alex, Tuck has handled this as well as you can. Like you don't want to say perfectly because the situation sucks, but him and the Michigan State AD great job. Like you, you, have done a, a wonderful job of handling a horrible situation.
1: 100%. Um, so I hope we don't have to talk about anything like this again on this podcast, uh, cause it was unfortunate. It was ugly for both teams, especially Michigan state black Mark on the game and the rivalry. And hopefully we do not have to be talking about this anytime soon. So with that being said, let's get into the actual on-field game between Michigan, and Michigan State, and we'll get into the rest of the weekend. So Michigan took it to Michigan State, twenty-nine to seven was the win. They pushed on the spread, very unfortunately, won- winning by twenty-two. This was to me a very slow and painful death. Like it wasn't electric. Like they didn't jump out to a lead super quick. Michigan State actually had a lead early in this game. Uh, They went up seven to three after Keon Coleman had just an absolutely sick touchdown catch. Uh, But then Michigan answered 7, And then on the next drive for Penn state, they were at the Michigan five yard line with a fourth and one. They didn't convert. And really after that, they
0: ran a delayed handoff.
1: It was ugly it was what? ugly and after that that was their that was really quite honestly their last scoring chance in the game was that was that fourth and one at the michigan 5 uh very early in the second quarter so uh michigan took over after that i will say that uh as a michigan fan it was very refreshing to hear the trouble with the snap call and and not have it be on my team, for those who know what trouble in the snap is, you know what I'm talking about. Michigan State had their own troubles where uh, long snapper, the, the backup, was in. Snapped it over the punter's head, and Michigan got a short field and scored. Twice. Um, uh, tw- well, he got it off once. and was He did. Lucky and An- incredible
0: play. job to get that first punt off.
1: A one-handed catch to get it off. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really in- in- impressive. But happy that the play call – went uh, in our favor that time but for michigan struggles in the red zone continue they scored 29 points on two touchdowns and five field goals they have to be better about that this same thing plagued them last year uh until the ohio state game where they miraculously turned it around so definitely things to improve on for michigan but you got out of there with a win what do you have to say about the game
0: um Really, honestly, I think it was just one of the, uh, th- this was my biggest read. I was at this game, um, best game day experience I've ever had, best seats in the big house I've, I've ever had. I was row 20, right on the 50 yard line on the Michigan sideline. Absolutely incredible. The atmosphere was unbelievable. I said to a few people who I was there with, uh, me and Corey were, were there together. Uh, I said to him, I was like, I couldn't imagine being a recruit and being at this game and being like, I'm not going to go here. (laughs) It was just outrageous. It was really, really fun. Really cool. Um, My biggest takeaway was, and this was what I said to Corey after the play happened, um, Cornelius Johnson fumbled and Michigan State got the ball. And I said, that's the end of our fun. That's what I told Corey. I, I, I knew at that point, once we fumbled, Cornelius Johnson fumbled on that bubble screen, I said to Corey, I said, that's the end of our fun. And what I meant by that was Jim Harbaugh is now going to take over this game and he's going to make it ugly and he's going to pound the football down Michigan State's throat and we will win. And I don't know by how much, but we will. But it will never look like a blowout. And that is exactly what happened. At that point, it was just Jim Harbaugh was was in no mood to have this game ever feel in doubt. And after that fumble, it did. And after that, it just became a ground-and-pound game. And Michigan did a great job running the football in this game. Both running backs, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, both did a great job on the ground. Um, even JJ, when he had the opportunity to run, I think he did a good job of picking his spots and finding times to run. Um, he had, I think it was three pretty bad overthrows in the game. I think there, there were some times where he needed to just kind of settle down, um, overthrew the football a few times. But it was exactly what I expected after that Cornelius Johnson fumble, if I'm being completely honest. It was just Michigan take over the, the, the flow of the football game, dominate time of possession, and end up – and Michigan's defense, after halftime – like, you better do all of your scoring in the first half. Uh, teams – this is a, a major announcement to all teams who have to still play Michigan on their schedule – do all of your scoring in the first half because you're not scoring in the second half. Because Michigan's Michigan State halftime adjustments on defense have been unbelievable
1: this year. Michigan State had negative 18 yards after halftime. Case in a point. large part of that is due to the trouble with the snap, but negative 18 yards after halftime. They're uh, to your point. That was a great point about the taking away our fun. I didn't even think about that, but that's absolutely what happened.
0: That as fumble a team, it took away all Michigan's fun.
1: One thousand percent, one thousand percent it did. As a team, two hundred seventy-six rushing yards. Corum had one hundred seventy-seven. One rushing touchdown. One receiving touchdown. So he continues to be just an absolute dog. Um, but when Michigan he, does, he do solidified this, himself as a Heisman candidate in this game. One thousand percent. But I I used to get mad when Michigan would do this, kind of take the fun and take the air out of the game and quit throwing it around. And then I, I, I just remind myself, you have the best offensive line in the country. You might have the best running back in the country. You might have the best running back duo in the country. You'd be kind of dumb as a coach to say, I'm not going to lean on this as much as I can during a game. I mean, you just expect your coaches to coach to the best parts of your team. And that's what Michigan does really well. I do think, though, as I was watching this game, you mentioned that J.J. had a few uh, a few overthrows. There were two throws, though, in particular, both to Ronnie Bell, that he needs to come down with. They were two 50-50 balls that hit him in the hands, basically, and he didn't come down with them. I think a large part of what's keeping Michigan from being really explosive on offense right now is they don't have that dude on the wide-receiving Uh, in their wide receiver room that can go catch a 50-50 ball, ball, that can just go make a guy miss on his own, right? They don't have that guy. They have talent, but they don't have that guy. And I think it is limiting them in terms of the explosive plays that they can get through the air.
0: I think Ronnie Bell has the opportunity to be that guy still. I still think he does. And – I think what you have seen is most of this season, if not all of this season, Jim Harbaugh has kept a very tight lid on this offense because he knows what his offensive line is and he knows what his running backs are. And he will be damned if he does not show you what he has in that running back room and in that offensive line room. And last year, We all thought, hey, this has got to change before you play Ohio State. You're not going to beat Ohio State this way. And then he said, let me take my pants down and show you. And then he went into that game against Ohio State last year and did the same thing. They took a couple of shots downfield and they hit them. Big pass to Cornelius Johnson in that game last year against Ohio State that got them down inside the five-yard line. But for the most part, it was here's Hassan Haskins and if you can stop him, more power to you. But I don't think you can. And Ohio State was like, "Um, we can't. Could you please stop? And the answer was no. Jim Harbaugh said, absolutely not. And you're seeing it again this year. It's no fun football. But guess what? It's fun when you win.
1: 100%. It's fun when you win. It is a winning recipe, and that's all that matters.
0: And that is all that matters. And he has two non-negotiables on this team he has two non-negotiables that offensive line is a non-negotiable you have no opportunity you do not stop that offensive line from performing and you do not stop Blake Corum from performing so good luck but this is what we're gonna do and that's kind of what you're seeing I I don't think there's any special recipe in the mix or anything like that crazy that you're going to see late in the season. All these, oh, my gosh, I can't believe now they're letting J.J. McCarthy run wild or blah, blah, blah. For all the fans out there who are waiting to see that type of stuff, stop waiting for it. You're seeing what this team is. And they're great at it. And they're great at it. They have an NFL offensive line and an NFL backfield. And guess what you do when you have that? You dominate the time of possession, and you run the football.
1: You don't see Tennessee Titans fans clamoring for Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball all over the place.
0: (laughs) Well, he doesn't get to throw the ball anymore.
1: He got benched. That is is true. But regardless, when you got Derrick Henry, you give him the ball 35 times, and that's what you have in Michigan with that offensive line and quorum combination. So a great win for Michigan. Uh, no style points, like we said, but a great win nonetheless. JJ 167 yards through the air and a touchdown. We gave you Coram's numbers for MSU, Peyton Thorne 215 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Keon Coleman had 155 yards in that one touchdown. Most of those yards coming in the first half, though, on some 50 50 balls that he made plays on. And as he a played, team, he played great. Keon Coleman looked great. like a baller in that game, played great in the first half and as a team for michigan state 37 rushing yards the third opponent to be held to under 15 rushing yards under 50 rushing yards against michigan super impressive super impressive i'm telling you good luck in the second half against michigan
0: they get to go in the locker room after they say that after they've seen what you do good luck good luck
1: ohio state beats penn state 44 to 31 this was an awesome football game to watch just a really, really fun game to watch. Back and forth the whole time. Uh, Mayan Williams, unfortunately, left the game injured for Ohio State. Don't know what his injury is or his status, but keep an Did eye it out not look
0: like his hand?
1: I thought it was a hand at first. They mentioned that. Then they thought it was a, a leg. I don't really know. No it one looked like when he you know, came
0: up, his hand was just kind of dangling. And I was like, I immediately said, I, I, my wife was in the room. And I immediately said, oh, he broke his hand because his hand was just kind of dangling there. But that's just speculation. I don't
1: know. Yeah, hopefully we'll find out more as the week goes on. But a couple of takeaways from this game. Ohio State looked human for the second week in a row. This was a very similar start to the game for them that happened against Iowa. So, So first two drives of the game, Penn State turned the ball over. Two Sean Clifford interceptions. But this is what happened. The first drive. Ohio state was held to a field goal and then they intercept Sean Clifford on Penn state's first drive. They go three plays, no first down missed field goal for Ohio state. And then before the half ended, they were deep in Penn state territory. Like half was half was coming to a close and CJ Stroud gets sacked. Clock runs out and they don't get a score before half. So there were multiple drives for them that really stalled out. And you didn't see that explosiveness from the offense, until about nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. So I want to get to you, Ethan, but let me just break down, because this game really was decided with 9.26 left in the fourth quarter. So at that point in the game, Penn State went up 21-16. to These are the drives that ensued. Ohio State, three plays, 75 yards, a touchdown. A 41-yard touchdown run by Travion Henderson. Ohio State's up 23-21. Penn State, two plays. A Sean Clifford fumble. Then Ohio State one play, Cade Stover touchdown, 30 to 21 lead, Ohio State. Then a Penn State field goal, then another Ohio State touchdown, and then Penn State one play, a pick six, and Ohio State puts them away 44 to 24 before they scored a garbage time touchdown. I mean, those drives for Ohio State touchdown, 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 like it just happened in the blink of an eye, and Penn State was out of it because of turnovers, because of Sean Clifford turnovers. He was responsible for four on this day. And I'd be remiss if we didn't mention the guy who was also responsible for causing most of them, JT, oh, God, I'm going to screw this up, Tui Moloau, I think is how you pronounce it. He had two sacks, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, two interceptions, a pick six, and a pass deflection that turned into one of the interceptions. I've never seen a defensive end take over a game like he took over this game. His fingerprints were all over it. It is 1,000% safe to say if he does not pull off that kind of a performance, I don't know if Ohio State wins that game. So a beautiful game to watch, and Ohio State pulls it off thanks to that offense and thanks to JT.
0: I think the biggest thing in this game was you saw what happens when you are the underdog in a game and you're facing a, a superior opponent and you turn the football over when you learn when you lose the turnover battle you are putting yourself so far behind the eight ball And Ohio State they struck fast and like lightning in the second half off of those yep. turnovers Did't take full advantage in the first half of the first two turnovers but those those second two, In the second half, touchdown, touchdown. And anytime you give up 17 points off of turnovers in a game and you're the underdog, guess what you end up with? An L next to your name. And I I think it was just par for the course for what we've seen from Penn State. They, 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 They look okay, they look good, and they're playing great against a really good opponent. And in the James Franklin era, it's just, there's just, it, it's just not there. The finishing is just not there. And man, did they have a great opportunity going into the second half of that game to really establish themselves and put themselves back into the playoff conversation after a loss to Michigan. Bye-bye to that. I, I mean, just a horrible, horrible second half performance in a, outrageously good second half performance from Ohio State you saw the explosiveness in the run game you saw the explosiveness in the passing game I mean you saw why they're the number two team in the country in that game in the second half you really did I mean the quick strike ability with this Ohio State team it's there and now you know we really understand what they can do as an offense again you you made the point they struggled in the first half. You know, as C.J. Stroud, you get pressure on him. It's a close game. We'll see how that treats them going forward. But great win by Ohio State. And if you're Penn State, you're left with your arms up above your head again at the end of the game. Like, I feel like we just gave it away, you know?
1: Yeah, you do feel like that. And I think one thing that I'm learning this year (sighs) is that these older quarterbacks, these fifth years, these sixth years, they're not the advantage that I perceived that they would be like, like Clifford had his worst game of the year against Michigan. Aiden O'Connell for Purdue has not impressed as much as people expected him to. You've got Tanner Morgan at Minnesota, who's not a difference maker and he, and when he does play bad, it goes South really quickly. So I think everyone perceives these older quarterbacks just to be such an advantage because they make smart decisions and the game slows down for them. I don't know that that's the case when they really get up against a team that's, that's borderline elite. uh, I don't, I just, it hasn't been the case this year. And I think you could probably go back a ways and find that to be true that you, you need young quarterbacks, you need difference makers, you need playmakers in order to take the next step as a football team going from good to great. And these, six, these fifth and sixth year guys are not going to do it for you. Clifford in this game, four turnovers on his own. He Those turnovers lost the game. And James Franklin actually said it this week that they are going to evaluate the QB1 position and see who's going to be the starter, whether it's going to be Clifford or whether it's going to be Drew Aller, who was a five-star coming out of school last year. He's a true freshman. I think Penn State fans, a lot of them, are kind of sick of seeing Clifford out there, and they want to see some new blood, and I can't really blame them. So you got C.J. Stroud, who threw for 354 yards and a touchdown. Uh, No interceptions, which I think is big for him. He had thrown an INT in four straight games coming into this one, so no turnovers for him. Marvin Harrison Jr. Wow. He is – Best receiver
0: in the country.
1: He is absolutely the best receiver in the country. Ten catches, 185 yards. I saw a stat today. Every single catch of his was for a first down. I mean, yeah. he is just the yep. go-to guy for them. Yeah. Um, and the and, and
0: you could you could make the argument. I, I I cannot remember his name right now. The kid who plays for Tennessee who looks absolutely outrageous. Oh, Hyatt, that wide receiver, yeah. Hyatt. Um. But my goodness, Marvin Harrison Jr. It doesn't matter where the ball is thrown. I I mean, C.J. Stroud puts it in the vicinity of where he is, and he comes up with it. So that kid is special.
1: Trey Van Henderson, 78 yards and two touchdowns. Sean Clifford, four turnovers, 371 yards through the air. He also had three touchdowns, but when you have four turnovers, no one cares about the three touchdowns. Parker Washington, wide receiver for Penn State, 11 catches, 179 yards. And a touchdown so he balled out for the Nittany Lions but it wasn't enough Ohio State comes out on top
0: speaking now of the- second half defense I, I mean we talked about it for Michigan Ohio State that defensive performance in the second half was unbelievable so that defense is legit oh my goodness absolutely absolutely
1: that defense is legit. So let's get into the next Big Ten game that really matters. We've got Illinois, who has entered the CFP rankings for the first time as a program. Kudos to them. They beat Nebraska 26-9. to This game was actually close early on, and Nebraska even had some big-time momentum in the second quarter. They went up 9-6 to and then forced an Illinois three and out. But literally, as soon as they did that, Nebraska Casey Thompson throws an interception that he actually gets knocked out of the game. When he threw it with an arm injury, Illinois falls it up with a touchdown, and then a Nebraska three and out, and then an Illinois touchdown, and it's twenty to nine going into half. I mean, after those two drives for Illinois, game was over. Nebraska threw their backup quarterback out there and didn't have much hope after no. that. Four turnovers for Nebraska, three interceptions and a fumble.
0: I and I the- don't think that there is. A better case to be made so far this college football season for coach of the year, aside oh. from aside from maybe – and his name is escaping me right now. Josh Hyde Yeah, the head coach at Tennessee. and But Brett Bielema and what he has done with Illinois. I, I mean, people, Illinois – We we were talking about a lot of teams with a chance to win the West at the beginning of the season. If you remember back to episode one, we were talking about a lot of teams. Illinois was not one of them. The coaching job that Brett Bielema has done at Illinois is unreal, and their defense is legit. You, you, there is, there is no, there is no. Oh yeah, well, it's this quality opponent. Blah 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 blah. No, that defense. They hit hard, and they fly to the football. They fly to the football. I I mean, you watch them, and how many tackles are made at or before the line of scrimmage when Illinois is playing is unreal. Their linebackers are fast and fly, and their their defensive line gets off the ball, I mean, right away, and if you're running the football – You better pray to God that you find a gap because they are going
1: to stuff you. They have played outrageously good. Their pass defense in particular is insane. They've had an interception in 11 straight games now dating back to last year. Most in the country, I believe. They lead the nation in interceptions right now. They also, Illinois, the football Instagram page was tooting their own horn a little bit. Here are the other defensive categories that they lead the country in. Lead the country, Illinois. Scoring defense, total defense, fewest touchdowns allowed, passing efficiency defense, interceptions, fewest red zone attempts, red zone touchdown percentage, and fourth down conversions against. Oh, and if that wasn't enough, they've only allowed 17 points in the second half. All, all
0: season. season. That's absurd.
1: I don't care if you're playing. I don't care if you're playing Harvard Oldham
0: College of Harvard University, whatever.
1: I don't care if you're playing Parkway Christian. Shout out to my high school. That is a freaking. That's a monster of a defense, and they are lighting it up. They're having fun. I mean, they love playing defense and running the football. They are the epitome of an elite Big Ten team. And Tommy DeVito is going out there. He's playing loose. He's not turning the ball over. He's throwing for for touchdowns. I mean, every person on that team knows their role and excels at it.
0: Can I just say this? Illinois is Michigan light. Yes. Illinois is Michigan light. And I pray to God that that reigns true when they play in Ann Arbor
1: the week before the Ohio state game.
0: I pray that that, that is the case.
1: That game but, is going to be over so fast because they're just going to be running the ball the entire time. Oh my word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That clock that is going to be over an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Fastest college football game ever played. 100%. Um, don't know if Thompson's going to be able to play this weekend for Nebraska at quarterback. We'll see. Um, Box score stuff. Tommy DeVito, 179 yards, two touchdowns. He went 20 of 22. Two incompletions the whole game for Tommy DeVito. Absolutely unreal. Chase Brown continues to lead the nation in rushing yards. He rushed for 149 in a touchdown. Sidney Brown, his twin brother, two interceptions on the day. So they're getting it done. Uh, Williams, Isaiah Williams had 93 yards in a touchdown. He also had a fumble. He also had a three-fumble game against Iowa where he lost two of them. Something to keep an eye on. He's got an issue with ball security. Could cost them in a game late in in the season. Um, Just a really great performance from from Illinois and and taking care of business when they needed to. Now into some games that were painfully hard to watch, at, at least this one, Minnesota Rutgers. You look at the score and you think, oh, Minnesota 31, Rutgers nothing. Oh, this is probably a fun game to watch. Minnesota's probably lighting it up, throwing it all over the place. Nope. Minnesota, this game was 14 nothing going into the fourth quarter. And if you've ever watched Minnesota play football, they run the ball with Mo Ibrahim, and then they wait till about five seconds left on the play clock, and then start the next – they then hike the ball for the next play. I mean, they drain – so much clock. It's slow. It's boring. They just they just lull you to sleep to beat you to death. Um, so the box score told most of the story. This this was the this was the box score for this game. First downs: Minnesota twenty one, Rutgers seven. Yards: Minnesota three seventy five, Rutgers one thirty four. Turnovers: Minnesota zero, Rutgers three. Time of possession: Minnesota forty one minutes. And two seconds, Rutgers, 18 minutes, 58 seconds. I mean, they, they just dominated every box score category. It was death by paper cuts for Rutgers. And I, I don't know. I watched this game, and I wanted to, to jab my eyes with a rusty spoon. So I don't know how much more you want to say about it.
0: I didn't watch this game, and frankly, I don't care about either one of these teams because they're both garbage.
1: Well said. I... <laughs> I think that's the best way to say it
0: I'm I so I'm so ticked off with Minnesota i I, I can't too. I can't even I can't even bring myself to to begin speaking about them so good win bye
1: yeah uh something of note Mo Ibrahim 159 yards so his 100 yard rushing streak continues he had three touchdowns uh Rutgers 48 yards rushing as a team. Very yikes performance from Rutgers. Well, a very Rutgers-like performance from Rutgers, I should say. Uh, Last game to go through, Iowa scores 33 points in beating Northwestern. Not sure if it says Iowa's getting back on track or what the more likely answer is or the more correct answer. Probably says more about Northwestern's defense than anything that Iowa scored 33 points on them. Spencer Petras played his best game of the year. Probably of his career. And it's it's Northwestern. So you gotta take this with a grain of salt if you're an Iowa fan in terms of trying to have some hope in this offense. Iowa's defense did what they always do. They were just lights out. This game was twenty to nothing at halftime. The last Northwestern touchdown, actually, that they scored was the very last play of the game where they didn't get to kick a field goal because the clock ran out. So this game was thirty three seven until the very last play of the game. Petras had 220 yards through the air and a touchdown, no interceptions. Caleb Johnson, maybe he – he's probably the one you put the most hope in if you're an Iowa fan. Running back, had 13 carries, 93 yards. Northwestern, their sophomore quarterback who's taken over the job, he had 159 yards, two touchdowns and one interception. Uh, Evan Hull, he was a weapon lighting people up early in the year. Not against Iowa's defense. 32 yards rushing. Only 18 yards rushing as a team, and only 177 total yards as a team for Northwestern.
0: If you're an Iowa or Northwestern fan listening to this podcast, wow. That's crazy. I can't believe you're listening to this. Your teams are bad. (laughs) Next. (laughs)
1: I was listening to uh, Unnecessary Roughness, the Barstool College Football Podcast, and Brandon Walker brings it up every time they talk about Northwestern. They have yet to win on U.S. soil this year.
0: (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) They beat Nebraska
1: in Ireland, and that's their only win so far. Uh, So I know we breezed through those last two games, but... Who picked the under total for them at three and a half?
0: Was it me? Did I do that? Yeah. Did I pick under three and a half? Interesting. You're talking about Northwestern
1: wins? Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. I, I, owe, I owe you 10 bucks because I we had some Northwestern bet that I'm not going to win. So uh, That's
0: right. You, you said bucks. that they would win
1: six games. I thought they'd win six games. I didn't even set the bar high. I mean, six games, Northwestern. And you've got the best offensive tackle in the country. Come oh, on.
0: yeah. The best offensive tackle. That'll win you games.
1: I thought they would do something. I thought they'd have a typical Northwestern defense that was scrappy and won them a few games. Screw you, Northwestern. You cost me 20 bucks. I had a bet with another person. Hef, he's got to get fired.
0: He's They're not going to do
1: that. They don't care enough. They don't care enough. Perhaps. So those are the games. That was week nine. Uh, So let's review the picks and get into week 10. Uh, If you were listening last week, you know that Corey didn't trust himself to make his own picks anymore. His record has been abysmal. And so he turned his picks into the hands of Lady Fate. And he flipped a coin for all of them. And guess what? The coin beat all of us. Ethan and I both went 2-2 and because Michigan pushed. And the coin went 3-1. and I'm a little embarrassed that we were beaten by a 50-50 shot, Ethan. We need to rebound this week.
0: Listen, listen. It was a bad week for me and a good week for you. What does that say about our season totals?
1: (laughs) Uh, You are correct. My season totals are not much better than Corey. I think I'm only a game ahead of him right now. But this is a big chance to bounce back and gain some ground this weekend because for the past couple weeks, he's only had five games. This weekend, we've got seven. So a little bit more on the line with these picks.
0: We're done with those bye weeks, baby.
1: Done with those bye weeks. We are getting into the meat of this thing. Uh, So let's start it off. I'll give Corey's, or sorry, not Corey's. I'll give the coins picks first. And Ethan, (laughs) you are still in the lead. Uh, So I'll let you go last. But So here we go. We're going to start off the weekend. Ohio State at Northwestern. Ohio State is minus 38. That is a big number, but that is a bad Northwestern team. Uh, The coin has Ohio State covering minus 38. I'm also picking Ohio State to cover minus 38. What say you?
0: I honestly cannot believe that this number is not higher. (laughs) I really can't. I thought it would be in the 40s. Northwestern is the worst football team in the big 10 and it's not close and that's saying something. Give me Ohio state by 40 plus.
1: Uh, next game. Minnesota is traveling. Northwestern doesn't score. Uh, you might be right. You might be right. Uh, Minnesota is traveling to Nebraska. Minnesota is minus 16 right now. Uh, I'm going to go ahead. Oh, sorry, not me, the coin, the coin decided Nebraska I'm also going with Nebraska. I'm really hoping that Casey Thompson plays. That does worry me a little bit, but I thought Nebraska was going to put up some fight against Illinois last week, uh, even though I picked Illinois to cover, uh, and they didn't. So I think Nebraska bounces back a little bit. Minnesota is not nearly as good of a team as Illinois. So give me Nebraska to cover 16, and it's at home.
0: This number is just real fishy to me. And it feels like Vegas is trying to tell me something, so I'm going to listen, and I'm going to take Minnesota.
1: Ooh, interesting. Uh, All right, next game up, Iowa traveling to Purdue. Purdue is minus four and a half. The coin has picked Iowa. What makes me nervous about this game is that we've talked about how Aiden O'Connell puts a lot of balls in harm's way. This Iowa defense feasts off of tips and interceptions and defensive touchdowns. I think that defense really, really stifles Aiden O'Connell, forces a couple of turnovers. And despite how bad their offense is, I'm going to take Iowa in this one to cover against Purdue minus 4.5. I
0: I can't believe that this spread is 4.5. What did the coin say?
1: The coin said Iowa too.
0: Huh. Iowa is minus four and a half against Purdue.
1: No, no, no. Purdue, sorry. I may have misspoke. Purdue is minus four and a half at home. Okay. Oh. Yeah, this is a toughie. To be honest, I expected it to be a larger number. So I'm feeling something here.
0: Iowa coming off their best performance of the year. Purdue is at home. Oh, my goodness. Purdue's a different team at home. I'm going to take Purdue to cover. Oh, gross,
1: Ethan. So gross. I'm gonna take Purdue, Purdue will do that to you. Purdue will do that to you. Maryland is traveling If you're going to take East...
0: Iowa in this game, take them outright to win. Take them to win. If you're taking yeah, you Iowa plus the
1: points, take them to win. You might as well. Maryland traveling to Wisconsin. Wisconsin at home is a five point favorite. The coin has Maryland to cover minus five uh, or to cover, sorry, Maryland's getting five. Uh, I'm going to agree with the coin again on this one. I hate that Maryland commits the amount of penalties that they do, but I would be way more concerned if Maryland was minus five as opposed to Wisconsin being minus five. So I think Maryland is... Just electric and explosive enough on offense to keep this one close. Talia is coming back, so give me Maryland plus five.
0: This line makes no sense to me. Everything inside of me tells me that Maryland should be favored in this game. I do not understand the fact that they are underdogs against Wisconsin. Wisconsin is terrible at football. Oh, I, I want to take. I want to take Wisconsin just on the 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 sole premise that this line doesn't make any sense. But you know what? I'm not gonna do it. I, if you're gonna give me points for Maryland, I'm gonna take them. So give me give me Maryland plus the five or whatever it is. Give me Maryland. I'm gonna take them. I'm gonna fall for it.
1: Penn State traveling to Indiana this weekend. Penn State is minus 14 in this one. The coin has Indiana covering at home. I do not think Penn State is a bad team. I think they've lost two games to two of the top four teams in the country. And there's no shame in doing that. So I think Penn State minus 14, I think they cover.
0: Oh, This is a game where I think it's going to be close at halftime. And then Penn State runs up the score in the second half. So give me Penn State to cover. And if they're starting their, their freshman five-star kid, definitely look for them to close in the first half. And then bye-bye in the second half. And I take Penn State to cover.
1: Michigan State is traveling to Illinois. Illinois right now minus 17. Um, Michigan State, those eight players that they had suspended from this, all on the defensive side of the ball. That does not make for uh, for good game planning for a defense that was already struggling. The coin took Illinois, and so will I. I've got Illinois covering.
0: What's the spread on this? Illinois 17. minus what?
1: 17.
0: Uh, Michigan State coming off a very, very emotional week. I, I think a lot of these players are just going to not be geared up for this. This is going to be one of those weeks where it's, re- I mean, I would never pick this game in reality. But if you're going to make me, oh, man. Oh, my gosh. That, I don't.
1: That Illinois defense is legit. Yeah.
0: You know what? Illinois doesn't give up any points in the second
1: half, and they cover. Give me Illinois. Good choice, my man. Good choice. Last game, Michigan is traveling two Rutgers. Michigan is minus 26 in this one. Uh, the coin has Michigan covering. I don't know why, but Michigan, whenever they play Rutgers and they get the chance, they always score as many points as poss- possible. Like Michigan, when Michigan plays like – middle of the road to really good teams, they never ramp up the style points. But then when they play like a Rutgers or somebody like that, they try to ramp up the style points as much as possible for some reason, especially against Rutgers. So give me Michigan to cover. They'll run some kind of trick play or double pass or something, Uh, and they'll win this one.
0: I think I saw a stat that said Michigan has covered their last seven games or eight games against Rutgers. Make it eight or nine. Because they are going to cover this spread. I I, I mean, you're right. Anytime they play, and it's a night game on the road, and they're just going to be ticked that they have to play a night game at Rutgers.
1: So, give me Michigan. I'll punt the points. So, you've got three games that are different against the coin. I, I think I've only got one game that disagrees with the coin. So, I better hope the coin is as on point as it was this week. Ethan's giving me a big thumbs down right now on the recording. So we'll see. Um, But that is what we got for you today. I know we talked through a lot of stuff. It was a long podcast, but college football will do that to you, baby. We could talk about this thing for days, but we wouldn't do that to you. We wouldn't put you through that. So So thank you for listening and tuning in. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen. Leave us reviews. Follow us on socials at the big show pod. Sorry, at big show pod. And uh, we will talk to you next week. See ya. Peace.